I'm going to start by leading us in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, what a blessing and encouragement it is to hear from hear you speak to us um, in your word that we've read that we read today, and just pray that uh, that your word would speak to us through my words, um, and that uh, our hearts uh, and minds would be open and ready to receive it uh, and be transformed by it. Amen. All right. Well. Celebrity theologian is, is not really a thing, I guess, but um, if it was, when I was a young man, this guy coming up on the screen, he was hot stuff. I mean, everyone at church was talking about him. Um, and it wasn't just everyone at church. I mean, he had TV interviews, he was on like chat shows, uh, he had newspaper articles. Um, does anyone know who that's a picture of? Hendred. Yes, that is John Shelby Spong. And everyone was talking about him because he had just launched his new book and it was Resurrection, Myth or Reality. Um, and in this book, he claimed that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, he said. He said, in fact, like, the whole idea of resurrection, uh, it wasn't about a body coming back to life. I mean, that's, that's kind of too incredible to be believed. He said what it, what it was really about was a spiritual and emotional awakening. He said if the core of Christianity didn't need you to believe in actually people coming back from the dead. And naturally, you can imagine, a lot of people like this idea. I mean, isn't Christianity easier if we, if we don't have to believe that people come back from the dead? Um, and and it isn't the, the central idea of Christianity, that, that Jesus died for our sins, you know, what, what difference does it make if he came back from the dead or not, if we come back from the dead? Well, uh, Bishop Spong was by no means the first person, as Dan pointed out, uh, nor was he the, uh, the last to, uh, to be confused about the importance of the resurrection. Uh, 2,000 years ago in the, the Greek town of Corinth, or the Corinthian town it was then, I guess, um, uh, people, there seemed, the church seemed to ha also have people who had this idea that the resurrection uh, wasn't important, that you know, the idea that people who die come back to life was a bit unnecessary. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains and outlines the importance of the resurrection and we're actually spending three weeks on it. It's such a good chapter. So Dan kicked us off last week. It's me this week. And then Kurt's going to finish us off next week. So let's get into it. Um, now, if you missed Dan's talk last week, um, I think it's up on YouTube, on Facebook. So watch that afterwards. But to give you a quick summary, it was very helpful. Um, Paul explained that the resurrection is um, a key part of the message that he preached, a message of first importance, that Christ died for our sins and was raised to new life, just as God would, had said would happen. And if it's not true, then there's a number of consequences. <coughs> and he had this slide, if we can go to the next slide. Yep, uh, it's very small there. I don't know what happened when I copied it. But um, he said, Paul outlined what happens if there is no resurrection. He said, well, if there's no resurrection, then Jesus Christ has not been raised. So Jesus, and like John Spong, I guess so far is, well, you know, who cares? Um, that's what I believe. 
But Paul says, if Christ was not raised, then we are still in our sins. Our faith is futile. We only have hope in this life. Then we're to be pitied of, of, um, above all people. He said, Christians who are dead are dead for good forever. He said, if Jesus was not raised, then Paul's teaching was a pack of lies and we're stupid for believing it, basically. Um, but So that's how Paul talks about the first part of the chapter. But, and today, I'm lucky, because I get the second part, which is much happier, because Paul starts the, the passage by saying, Jesus has been raised from the dead. And because of that, we know that resurrection is real and it makes a big difference. In fact, he teaches us three things in this chapter. That we shall be raised, that God's kingdom will be established, and also that we are free to live for the future. So let's start at that first part of 1 Corinthians there. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So Paul says Christ is the firstfruits of those who will be raised. Now, as so often happens at St. Matt's, Eleanor has kind of given the better illustration than I had for my sermon. Uh, but I have a lovely picture of a fruit tree. And I'm going to claim it's better because mine, mine is about fruit and hers was about vegetables. But um, first fruits can be vegetables. But um, <coughs> if you paid attention during the kids' talk, you will, um, uh, you will have got the point that you, know, you have the crop that's ripening. You don't know whether it's good. You don't know whether it's going to fully ripen whether the fruit's going to wither and drop off the tree. But when you see that, when you get that first fruit, then you know that you're in business, that you're going to get a full crop. The first, the first fruit is the proof, the demonstration that what you hope for will come to pass. And Paul says, this is what the resurrection is like. Jesus is the proof that we too will be raised Adam established that the punishment for sin is death. Uh, and because we are sinful, we too will die. But Christ establishes that there is life after death. That there is a life to come and that we too will be raised. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Our resurrection is tied to Jesus' resurrection. The spirit that gave him life will also bring us life. And we know this is true because he has done it. And so we have confidence in what comes after death 
Death is not, you know, this undiscovered country from, that no one has ever come back from. We know somebody who has come back from death. And we know that there is life after death. It's not the end. What's more, Jesus' resurrection has shown us that the life to come is not just the life we have now. It is life. It is being reborn into God's kingdom. You see, our resurrection is not like, you know, Jesus was not the, the first person to come back from the dead. You have uh, you know, the, the well-known story of Lazarus, uh, the brother of Jesus' close friend Mary, who was dead for three days, and Jesus brought him back to life. Now, Jesus did this to show that we would receive new life. But raising Lazarus was just a shadow of what we will receive because when we receive new life, it will be into God's kingdom. You see, the thing is, Lazarus, when he was raised, he died again. But when we are raised, we'll be raised into God's kingdom, made fully real. Because when we will be raised, we will see Christ in glory. Look at again at this next part of uh, 1 Corinthians. Paul says, But each shall be made alive in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. So, it's going to get a bit complicated here, but, but try and stick with me. Uh, when Jesus came, he claimed to be the Messiah, God's chosen king. Uh, he proved those claims by the signs he gave and the way uh, he did what God's prophets had said God's king would do. And yet he didn't rule as a king. Um, we, he promised God's kingdom. He died to give us entry into God's kingdom. But he did not fully bring the kingdom to come to pass. But now we know when Jesus was raised, he was raised in glory and power to establish that kingdom forever. And so we look forward to that. Um, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays that we may know God's immeasurable power towards us, power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above it all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. Jesus' resurrection ushers in his true majesty. Now we see Jesus in all his glory. And it proves that he is above every ruler and authority on earth and in heaven. And when he rules, um, he will come again to overthrow every power that opposes God or sets itself against God because he is above them all. Jesus is more powerful than, than anything, even than death. And so he, when he too will raise us to be part of that kingdom, just as he has promised. 
will not be raised like Lazarus to fight with our sister and struggle from day to day. Now we'll be raised into glory. And that's a wonderful hope that we have, to have something that, that is so certain, that is guaranteed, both by Jesus' power and by his resurrection. And having that hope, having something to live for, changes the way you live from day to day, doesn't it? You know, it, it gives you a reason to go on. It gives you a reason to do things. And that's what Paul talks about in the last part of the chapter. In verse 29, uh, he says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptised for the dead? When he says otherwise, he means if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if there is no resurrection, then why are people uh, being baptised on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptised on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, uh, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So Paul's argument here is, Look, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, if there's no resurrection, then there's no point in doing the things that Christians do. It's only worth living a Christian life if Jesus was raised from the dead. And he gives two examples, baptism for the dead and the danger and hardship he faces. Okay, baptism for the dead. Uh, I kind of, you might have noticed I dodged the question in the, the last little bit about Jesus submitting to the Father and the whole Trinity thing. So I feel like you're allowed one dodge per sermon, but uh, uh, so I'm going to have to tackle this one. <laughs> what is being baptized on behalf of the dead? Well, I'll tell you one thing, and that is that. Uh, the Bible scholars can get pretty creative when it comes to trying to work out what Paul is saying here. Um, I don't think anyone's sure. I'll give you three possibilities from what I've read um, and you can make your mind up. So the first one is being they're being baptised in place of the dead. So there are people who have died without being baptised and some of the Corinthians are being baptised uh, on their behalf. Um, uh, so, and presumably so that that person who died has a place in the resurrection. So that's one possibility. There's no evidence that, we don't have other evidence that people actually did this. Um, and like, I don't want to confuse you, I, I mean it, it sounds kind of superstitious, doesn't it? Um, like a kind of magic, if I get baptised for you then you'll be saved. And um, So it's not what Christians believe and it's not what Paul taught. And so it is kind of funny that it's slightly question, yeah, people question whether Paul would really have used that as an example. Um, the second question, uh, the second option is that these people are baptized as dead. So the Corinthians, before they knew Jesus, were dead in their sins. Their bodies were going to die. And so uh, they repented and they're baptized so that their body may receive life. 
when Jesus returns. And so they are baptized for their dead bodies. So that is more consistent with what Paul taught, but has its own problems. And then the third option is that they are baptized uh, with the dead in mind, as it were. So uh, the Corinthians are perhaps baptized so that by becoming Christians, uh, they might be reunited with uh, friends and loved ones who have died, and so that they become Christians, so they might be reunited, baptized, so they might be reunited with them in heaven. So, those are the th three of the more likely explanations. If you want unlikely ones, then we could be here all day, but I won't get into that. But whatever the explanation of this is, whatever is happening, Paul's point is clear. People would not be doing this if Christians were not raised from the dead. But Christ has been raised. And so they are doing this because they are looking to a time in the future when they'll be rewarded with God's kingdom. The hope that they have that certain resurrection and their coming kingdom changes the way they live now. And Paul's second example is a bit clearer and it comes from his own life when he talks about the troubles he's faced. Uh, you know, why are we in danger every hour, he says. Uh, I fought, uh, what do I gain, uh, humanly speaking, if I fought with beasts at Ephesus? Uh, Paul, Paul, his ministry life was tough, you know. You think, yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's rough being in botany, you know. In, in, <coughs> in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul lists some of the things he went through as an apostle, and uh, it's kind of a shocking list. It's, he, was, um, he was beaten, he was thrown in prison. Five times he got the 40 lashes minus one. Uh, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was adrift at sea. He, was like, he had to run from like angry mobs. There were robbers on the roads. He frequently had nowhere to sleep or no food. He was hungry, he was thirsty. It was a tough life. And what did he get out of it? He says, what do I gain, humanly speaking? Yeah, he didn't get money or power or a comfortable life. In fact, Paul says, if he's not going to be raised, if there's no resurrection, he might as well take it easy and live for today. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. He says, if there's no resurrection... We might as well try and squeeze every bit of pleasure out of life that we can because it's all we've, we've got. You know, in that case, you know, our motto becomes get what you can while you can um, because tomorrow we die. And it's not an appealing way to live, is it? I mean, even my life is pretty good. I've been blessed I don't know what your life is like. Yeah, for some people, the prospect of this is as good as it gets is, is horrible. But even for those who are comfortable and doing well, the idea that, you know, it's only downhill, you know, you're up against the clock, it, it kind of saps the joy from life. And it, uh, it forces you, it encourages you into ways of life that are just sinful, to be honest, to be selfish, to be greedy. It's not the way to live, Paul says. 
because Christ has been raised. There is a resurrection. Do not be deceived, he says. Bad company rules, ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. Paul said, if you're deceived into, if you're into believing that the resurrection's not real, if you're hanging out with people that are, that are kind of leading you away from that resurrection hope, then wake up. He says, stop sinfully living for today. Know that God has raised Jesus from the dead and he will raise you too. Because that hope in the resurrection sets us free. Paul suffered all those hardships because he knew God and he knew that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And he knew that that means that he will come again to make all those who are in Christ alive and establish God's kingdom forever. Paul wasn't living for today. He was living for his glorious future. And that means those hardships were nothing to him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says in Romans. It's kind of inspirational. It sets us free, doesn't it? We don't have to squeeze all the joy out of you know, Hardships can be endured because we have hope. It sets us free from chasing pleasure and looking for meaning and satisfaction in places where it cannot be found. It frees us to live our whole lives for heaven because Jesus' resurrection is our guarantee of entering that hope. And that's the encouragement I want to leave you with today. To get excited about the hope we have, the certainty of that promise and to start living for it today. To be so excited about, about what we have and what we look forward to that we can't help but speak to people about it. You know, to just put sin aside, knowing that you have something better in store. You know, whatever, you know, coveting a material good, you know, maybe you're, you're envious of, of a car or a holiday or a phone or what, someone's phone, whatever it is. It's, not, it's nothing compared to the glory we will have in Jesus. And as for treating people selfishly and being selfish, treating people badly to get what you want, you know, think of our risen king and the fact that you are now looking forward to something much better in his kingdom. And we should jump selflessly also to serve one another because it's a chance to reflect right now that little piece of God's kingdom that the risen Jesus will come back to establish. Yeah, there's a hundred ways having that hope can make a difference in our lives. There's a thousand examples of ways that we could live for the future. Yeah, I can't, we, we can't go through them all now. Um, so take this away. Think about it. Talk to one another. Share the hope that we have with one another and remind one another of it. Because, friends, the risen Jesus makes all the difference. He is the guarantee of our future. And we can live off that guarantee now. He, Paul knew that Jesus has been raised. He saw his power and it changed his life. And I pray that we too will be strengthened and encouraged by what we've 
hear it through his word today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, the hope that we have is uh, too amazing, too wonderful to be expressed. Father, help us keep our eyes firmly fixed on it. Help us long for it. Help us live for it each day. Putting aside hardship and sin, rejoicing in doing good and living for that kingdom. Being satisfied in you because we know that your promises are sure. You have demonstrated and proven them and they are wonderful. And we pray this knowing that one day we will see the risen Jesus in glory and long to be with him. Amen.